This season of Well and Good with Art and Matilda is brought to you by Subaru. We love Subarus, and we think they're the perfect car for Kiwis. Indeed they are, Art, because Kiwis are doers, right? And so are Subaru drivers. We're the kind of people who are always pushing to sneak that little bit more out of life. We stay out surfing for that one last wave. We sneak in a trip down to the river for a swim. And we stay at the beach eating our fish and chumps until the very last speck of light is gone. So if you want to do more, do it with Subaru. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Today we have a lovely lady, Sandra Clare, who she started a brand called Artemis. And she's a medical herbalist and she's uh, potentially just the loveliest woman in the world. Oh my God, we actually fell in love with her. And I kind of want her to adopt us as our like fun auntie that lives in, down in the South Island. And we go and stay with her and stuff. Cool. <laughs> okay, we'll work on that. <laughs> This is probably one of my favourite podcasts, actually. I found it super interesting. It um, was really interesting, and I feel like we all just got along really well. She is a wealth of knowledge about plant medicine. Yeah, she is. Um, she's also just completing or completed her PhD, um, and she talks a little bit about that, uh, which is, is all to do with um, incorporating plant medicines into the uh, health and medical uh, care system in New Zealand and how that could work. And um, She touches on the... Uh, the way that it works in Switzerland, which is where she's from, with the healthcare system there, how they use um, plant medicine in their healthcare system, which is very interesting. Yeah, well, they seem to just have everything bloody sorted, don't they? I know. Oh, Switzerland, eh? Chocolate. Overachievers. Uh, clocks. Clocks? <laughs> Swiss, is it Swiss? Oh, Swiss watches. Yeah. That's a, knives? That's a form of clock. That's like a, ha- a clock for your hand. Swiss knives, that's a thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a thing. Anyway, um, we should probably just let Sandra talk about this stuff. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy the chat. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to meet you. And we've heard quite a lot about you over the last few months, actually. So it's uh, really exciting to see you face to face and kind of talk to you a bit about your background and your knowledge. So you're a medical herbalist and a medical anthropologist. And can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what your background is, how you got into that? Sure. So as you will discover from my accent, I'm coming from overseas. I come from Switzerland. And in Switzerland, we use natural health care as a standard care option for people. So when somebody feels a bit under the weather, they can say, well, I want a natural option or I want a synthetic option. So that's the way how I grew up. And I find it really interesting. So like if you go to the doctor, you don't just get prescribed drugs, you get an option. Correct. That is so cool. Yeah. So that's the system I grew up with. And Mm -hmm. I just thought it was everywhere else in the world until I came to New Zealand and, you know, realized that that's not the case. And it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, Switzerland is probably one of the most high-tech countries in the world. So if your doctor, for example, says, well, you do need to have an MRI, we need to investigate further, literally within the same day, you will have that investigation. It's that quick. But, you know, if you have something which is non-life-threatening, then other options are discussed. And, you know, there are people who say, for example, they go through a divorce or they feel stressed and they need something to pick them up. Then the option is, is do you want St. John's water or do you want to have Prozac? And people actually have a choice and it is paid for by the health insurance system. So that's the background to my profession. So we have, you know, a system where actually traditional plant medicine is just part and parcel of official health care. 
Oh, I love that. So there's no judgment or anything because sometimes if you can go to the GP here and if you say, oh, well, I've been using this kind of natural remedy, you kind of get a bit of an eye roll sometimes. Yeah, and you're like, instantly oh, a hippie yep. that sort of believes in conspiracy <laughs> theories. Yeah, exactly. I uh, know. That's really funny that you should say that, Art, because when I first came here, and that's now almost 24 years ago, people just thought, oh, Plant medicine, what is that? Herbal medicine, is that kind of witchy brew stuff? Mm. And I just couldn't believe it because it is so well established everywhere else overseas. And in fact, when you look at medicine as a whole, you know, traditional plant medicine has been used for 59 minutes of an hour of human lifetime or, you know, as, as a human race. And, you know, synthetic drugs are only just coming in at the last minute. So it's a very recent discovery. You know, it only comes back from the 19th century where chemists were able to synthesize and isolate active constituents out of plants. But unfortunately, in some countries, then the old systems just have been dropped for the new system. But in countries like Switzerland, for example, and other places, we use it in parallel. And it's really health as a continuum. So you have things that are addressed very well with plant medicine and that's predominantly primary health care. So there's everything that is not life-threatening. So we talk lowered immunity, indigestion, infertility, you know, sleeplessness, mental health is fantastic with plant medicine. We have very, very good clinical studies for that. And then you have life-threatening events where, you know, we're very grateful to have the most modern technology that we can have. We have drugs that can help. We have painkillers that are very powerful. But if you take those painkillers for too long, we have the opiate epidemic in the US. So, you know, it's like, it's kind of figuring out where on the spectrum are you? When do you need which method? And there is no judgment in that. And I think a lot of people, particularly in Europe, are really quite strong advocates for plant medicines because of the low side effect profile. You know, people start to wake up that using chemicals, there is no free lunch with them. You know, they do give you the benefit sometimes, often, it depends. But you do have almost always and invariably side effects that you have to deal with. You know, and sometimes and a lot of the side effects can be worse than, than your original problem. You know, that's that correct. Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, you know, when you look at statistics in all people's homes, you know, there I think they're an average on 11 different drugs. And quite a big number of those ones are to mitigate side effects of the primary drug that they've had. Oh, yeah, oh I've heard that. Goodness. That's crazy, isn't it? Mm. So we don't need to go there. Yeah. You know, we have other options. And so, yeah, I like the Swiss approach, which is probably quite common, maybe, I don't know, in some other European, Scandinavian countries, but where it's not one or the other, it's both, and they each have, you know, their place. One thing you just touched on, I was thinking about how the rise of the drug healthcare system, you said that these drugs are kind of like synthesizing some of the effects that natural plant medicines have. And then is part of the reason why the drug industry has just boomed and it's become the primary healthcare model, is it because that these synthesized drugs can then be patented and money can be made off them, whereas with plant medicines, you can't do that? That's absolutely correct, yeah. Mm. So you can synthesize them. And of course, that coincided with the Industrial Revolution. So all of a sudden, you had factories that actually could mass produce those medicines. While plant medicines, you have to grow them. You know, it's a very, very high skill set to grow a plant that it is actually medicinally active. And that's something at Artemis that I'm really hot on because not all plants are created equal. It's like with food. You know, you can get really wholesome, good food and you can get food 
food that have been sprayed 30 times, mm. right? So, you know, there's a lot of knowledge behind that. Now, when you synthesize one substance, you know, you can just do that over and over and over again in a lab very quickly. And then when you mass produce it, you just can pump it out. So, you know, unfortunately, what they did at the time is that they didn't realize that there is potential for side effects that you don't get when you use a plant that has multiple active constituents. It's not just a single substance, you know, as you have in a drug. You know, you have that substance, that active substance, embedded with other substances that will help to mitigate any potential side effects. In fact, work in synergy with the actual active component. So, you know, there's a lot of advantages using plant medicine, but it is more laborious to do. You can gain less money out of it and it has to be grown instead of manufactured. Mm. Yes, there are kind of pros and cons of both, I guess. And can you tell us a little bit about your company, Artemis, because you just spoke about it then, but can you tell us a bit about what it is and when it started? (laughs) So I came to New Zealand in in 1995 and I call myself an accidental immigrant because I never really intended to stay on, but here I am. You just loved it so much. (laughs) I did, But you are legally allowed to be here, right? I am. I am legally and I'm over age, yes. So one of my first trips was to central Otago and I literally fall in love with that landscape. It is just beautiful. And as a medical herbalist, what really struck me was the potency of the medicinal plants growing in that region of the world. And now being a medical herbalist, I've been in the Swiss mountains, I've been harvesting in all sorts of places. And I just recognise that this is really special, what New Zealand has here. You know, we have world-class medicinal plants and not many people were really bothering about them, you know. And in fact, you know, I was harvesting St. John's Wood and harvesting thyme and people were saying, what are you doing with these weeds, you know? Oh, you make a big stew <laughs> or something. What's going on? Yeah. So that was really funny you know the St. John's is one of the most sold plant drug in the world but anyhow <laughs> and we just ripped them out and you know <laughs> but it just I felt really intrigued and so I started to work as a medical herbalist I'm also a body therapist and what happened was is I was missing the really good quality remedies that I had access to in Switzerland so out of need really Artemis was born and I used those central Otago herbs and herbs that I was harvesting in other parts of New Zealand and my husband, now husband and myself, we are living on the Otago Peninsula where we have a lifestyle block. Um, It's an eco-sanctuary where we also have been growing some plants for Artemis. And, you know, through that, because I had the skill and the knowledge about how to formulate Artemis really was born because I was able to give now the, the old Swiss remedies to my patients and eventually the word escaped my clinic and the health stores came to me and asked if I would put the range onto their shelves. And it was literally because people just started to talk about how much better they felt. Because when plant medicine is done correctly, you know, when you know how to harvest, how to process, how to formulate, it's incredibly efficacious. So that's really how then I became an accidental entrepreneur you know, again, you know, I came to New Zealand. I had no idea that this is what I was going to do mm. eventually. That's so cool. That is, yeah. that sounds like our dream, that lifestyle block. It sounds amazing, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I saw, I just had a look at some of your products before, and most of them are made with organic ingredients as well. Is that quite a key component? It's 100% essential. Yeah. It really is because, you know, 
people who seek wellness, who seek health, the last thing they need is Sprite product. And unless it is stated on a label that it's either certified organic or it's pharmacopoeia grade, which is a certain standard in Europe where herbs are not allowed to have herbicides or pesticides, unless that's stated on the label, you do need to assume that those herbs have been grown under conventional agricultural method and that involves spraying. It's really, really sad. Like, you know, I tried to use as many herbs as possible from New Zealand. And one time I was approached by a farmer and he had echinacea growing and I got really excited about that. And then he said to me on the phone, you know, and one thing special I need to tell you is, is that I only sprayed five times. Normally it's sprayed 10 times. Oh. And I just, at that point, I had to say, look, I'm really sorry, but, you know, we just, we can stop the conversation right here. So organic is really important, all wildcrafted from pristine environments. You know, like in central Otago, there's a lot of time where you can actually harvest it um, directly off the hills. And that particular time is really special. We're just doing a Callahan innovation project and we've got some funding for that. And it's shown and proven that it is exceptionally high in the active constituents. And I think that comes back to my initial observation about New Zealand. There's really something very special happening in this environment. You know, we have the Manuka story, for example. Mm. You know, we have the blueberries that have much, much higher antioxidant levels. Our foods are much better because of that foods that are grown in the soil. So, you know, as a company owner, it excites me to use plants from here and, you know, share the love and share the word around New Zealand, but also overseas. Yeah. So why do you think that is that New Zealand soils or conditions and stuff are producing such potent? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think it comes back to the position of New Zealand. So this little dot bobbing, you know, somewhere, you know, very far away from any other polluting big countries. We don't really have big cities, you know, even though Auckland, we think it's the big smoke. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in, on a world scale, this is a very tiny um, it's essentially city. a town, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in China, they say, oh, you know, we have a tiny city of 8 million people. <laughs> so I think you have few people on a landmass that is massa is quite far away. So that's one thing. So there's not a lot of pollution going on because of the way where we are and the way how we live. And secondly, the ozone layer is very fragile in New Zealand. And so when we look at the medicinal properties of plants, these are actually the secondary plant metabolites, which are the defense mechanisms of the plant. So the harsher the environment is, the higher those active constituents are, because that's how the plant defends itself against the sunshine, against the wind, against the insects. So interesting. Yeah, and because of the ruggedness of New Zealand, you know, those plants have to be extremely strong. So if someone, say, has been kind of like a medical drug taker their whole life and they're interested in plant-based medicine, where do they even start? Like, should they see a medical herbalist or can they Google some things? Could they go foraging in their backyard and say, I've got some time, can I do something with that? Yeah, get some chamomile. My mum used to make chamomile tea. Well, she tried to make chamomile tea and it was just so disgusting. (laughs) Like it was just so bitter and I'd watch her drink it and she'd just like cringe and just neck it down. mm, Relaxing. Yeah, no, it was horrible. (laughs) I tried it too. It was disgusting. Yes, yes. But why is the the pack of chamomile tea so good? I don't know. That really depends on the brand Mm. chamomile very much. If it's a high quality, then it 
taste delicious. And if it's really low quality, it can taste very, very bitter. But there is a skill and an art around how you harvest, how you prepare. And unless you go about it in the right way, you can end up with something which is not drinkable. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you may want to have an Artemis rest and relax instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, if people are looking to find a more natural, holistic approach to find a bit of health and want to look for some natural medical remedies and yeah. stuff, how do they go about it? So in New Zealand, because plant medicine is not taught at medical school yet, I still have hope that you know by the time my time is up in life that we have been able to shift this area. But overseas, you know, doctors are trained in plant medicine. Like in Switzerland, they have to because we use it in our healthcare system. Here in New Zealand, you really have to go to a medical herbalist or to a naturopath in order to get a proper assessment of what a person could use. Really, somebody who has been using drugs for quite some time, I do not recommend that they try to solve it themselves because there's a lot of variables that have to be checked and also things like, you know, how safe and how quickly can they come off the drugs. But Quite often I find that, you know, people take drugs for a long time. They start to suffer from the side effects and they may actually start to use plant medicines alongside their drugs to mitigate some of the side effects. You know, for example, heartburn or, you know, indigestion or they find that they're not sleeping terribly well, they feel depressed. You know, a lot of drugs are really depleting a lot of the nutrients out of the body. And so plant medicine can be very effective helping to deal with the side effects. That buys us a little bit of time to look at what is actually the underlying cause of that problem. And that's the real key thing about traditional plant medicine is we look at the cause. We don't just want to dispense a Band-Aid. You know, and that's quite often done with drugs. You know, doctors have only five to 15 minutes. It's really quick consultations. Our system is not set up to go deeper into digging of what actually is the problem. You know, what is what is the pressing sore point? So as medical herbalists, we take a lot of time to get into the case history and try to figure out what has been the trigger and what are the current triggers and then work with the person around that. And that can be plant medicine, usually is, you know, as one method. But we look at things like diet, exercise, sleep, relationships. It's quite broad. We're not counsellors, but we're just highlighting the areas that could add to the stress and could be an explanation of why somebody has ended up in the place where they are. Mm. I love that. Yeah, because I was actually thinking about this as we were driving here. The difference, like you just said then, it's kind of like I'm a believer in that your body can pretty much heal itself from most of the things that go wrong with us from day to day. And I think that sometimes the drugs that we get prescribed just mask those symptoms, like you said, mm. and then can cause side effects. But kind of what you're saying is that the herbal remedies and medicines, they enable your body to better do its work and fix itself. Is that kind of right? That's absolutely correct. And I think that's the biggest difference between a plant-based drug and a synthetic drug. So a plant drug actually works in conjunction with your physiology. And that has an evolutionary background. So plants and humans, the human species, have, you know, in parentheses, grown up together. There's a co-evolution. And so we actually have receptors that respond to those plant-active constituents very well. Our bodies know exactly what to do when you eat good food, when you eat or drink or take a plant medicine, which is also from the plant kingdom. 
kingdom, right? So we're set up to process that. We're not set up to process chemicals. This is a very, very new thing. You know, this is a bleep in the history of the human species, really. It's only coming in the 19th century. We only really have rolled it out after Second World War. It's not that long, you know, 70 years. We're all in a big experiment right now. And I what, totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, and what we find now is, is that, you know, we haven't really figured out the long-term consequences like antibiotic use. All of a sudden we start to realise, you know, how it actually disturbs the gut microbiome, how that affects affects our mental health, how it can lead to all sorts of degenerative diseases. So plant medicine works with your physiology. It enables your organs to work better. That's a very different approach from drugs which are either activating or downgrading a receptor response. Now, that is sometimes needed when you're in dire need. And you really need to slam a receptor or you need to upregulate very quickly so that the body can survive. But this is never meant to be for a long-term standing medicine. And ideally, you use both. As I said, you know, health is a continuum. You try to use the least toxic drug, preferably plant-based, for as long as you can. And if something is still not right, then you may need to look at what is seriously not working and address that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess symptoms are a good thing. Like symptoms are your body trying to tell you things. Or so I think just to to try and shut up the the symptom, it's kind of like telling your body, no, that's doing something wrong. So like I'm gonna fix it with this thing. But the body never does anything wrong, right? It's, never does anything by chance. Yeah, no, everything's no, for a purpose. Everything is happening for a reason or for a deeper reason, and it's kind of trying to tell you something. So I guess the the, the key is to find out what that is. And until very recently, the medical system in the West knew that, right? You know, you read the hip, hip, if I can say it. Hippocrates, (laughs) sorry about that. The Hippocrates texts, you know, it's in there. You know, fever is a symptom that allows parasites, viruses, bacteria to be killed off. Yeah, if we stop really that, interesting thing you know, that I was going to ask you about yeah. actually is fever because yeah. we've sort of grown up our whole lives mm. being that fever is really, really dangerous and you've got to bring it down straight away. But I read a book recently that was talking about how fever, that's your body killing it off and it sort of heats up to get rid of the bacteria or virus or so you need to kind of let it run its course. That's right. And there's actually quite compelling evidence as well. If children get too many fever-reducing remedies such as paracetamol, that actually long-term their immune system can be damaged by that. So, you know, fever is a very healthy mechanism. And we're actually in in herbal medicine, we're worried about people who can't produce fever Mm. because there's something not working in the immune system if that mechanism is not kicking in. Mm. It's just with children, you need to watch just how high that fever is and you know if it goes too high you do need to get medical help immediately because if it goes over a certain threshold you know they can be damaged by that but that's really rare so you know as a parent you would just keep monitoring you keep sponging you keep cooling them down so that the fever is running at a safe level Mm -hmm. but Usually when you do allow that to happen, it just stops the illness from prolonging itself on and on and on because actually you take out of the equation the parasite or the virus or the bacteria that was causing the illness in the child. Mm. So it's a natural ally, absolutely. And, you know, in olden times, you know, we would induce fever in order to have that action. And in fact, in cancer therapy in Switzerland, people go through heat baths 
really? where the body is artificially heated up to about 40 degrees. And it's also thought around, you know, helping to stop you know, some of the processes that are happening with cancer. So, you know, fever is used as a therapy around the world. It becomes full circle, doesn't it? Mm. And so could a sauna raise your body temperature enough to sort of increase fever or induce fever? Probably it wouldn't induce fever, but it would mimic fever. Right. And so saunas are extremely healthy. You know, we know that. That's why the Scandinavian people do it all the time. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, heat and then going into a cold bath, that's really challenging the body and just it helps the body to mobilize all the immune strength. Mm -hmm. So saunas are fantastic. We actually have a sauna ourselves, a wooden sauna, and we do it at least once a week in wintertime. We do a little bit more slack in summertime, but once a week in wintertime, the benefits are really, really wide-ranging, you know, fortifying the immune system you keep your circulation really healthy helps against water retention you know there's so many benefits relaxes very very deeply the nervous system and I think in the 21st century we all need to have that happening now we're all a bit too highly strung everyone's pretty stressed yeah yeah so it helps you to switch from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system which is very beneficial and it just does it you don't need to think about it you You sit there and relax that's right Yeah. yeah I'm a huge fan of saunas. Mm. Yeah. Being pregnant, I really miss them, actually. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Are you still that's, allowed that's, to have one when pregnant or not really? If you're not really skilled in how to do it, I would actually probably stay away from them. I'm not skilled at all, so mm. that's, that's probably a good <laughs> yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's because there are, again, temperature thresholds that you shouldn't mm. exceed. Yeah. Yeah. So the Swiss seem to have got it sorted with their medical system, <laughs> you know. Oh, with everything, honestly. Like, yeah, they I know. just copy That's everything they do, I know, really. Right. Yeah, like, you know, they've figured out chocolate. saunas and chocolate. <laughs> and <laughs> chocolate, saunas. All of the good things. Um, so, like, are there any, I guess, markers that can show that it's more beneficial, like their healthcare system compared to, say, your standard Western healthcare system? I wouldn't be familiar with that research, but in general, Switzerland has a high level of wellness, and very low level of, comparatively speaking, anxiety and, you know, other markers that we see in other countries. Generally speaking, we don't have a big issue with obesity, for mm-hmm. example. So I think as a whole, I think it's a quite a healthy society. And I believe it's that balance between being modern, but, you know, keep using what has worked for a very, very long time. And we're also a country that loves the outdoors. As a child, every weekend we would be in the mountains. That's actually how my love to herbal medicine really has grown because I just was surrounded by all these beautiful plants and I could see what they did for people and I could see that people who are using medicinal plants were using a healthy lifestyle, good food, how old they got and healthily old. Like my granddad, he was 100 years old when he died, you know, and he died of old age. He didn't take a single drug. Mm. That's amazing. And, and that really got me thinking, you know, how is it possible that these old folk just keep going and going and going and nothing wrong with them? And I think it is because they naturally have done the right thing for their physiology. Mm. They haven't had all these interferences that we are dealing with now. Yeah. That was all out of the equation. Things like Alzheimer's and dementia and everything, like, but those are relatively new, aren't they? Well, it has always happened, but not so prevalent Mm. you know it's really just become an epidemic really you know we've never seen it at that level things like cancer has always been around you know dementia has always been around but it was the exception not the rule right 
we just have switched that all around. And so obviously the things are triggered in our DNA that weren't triggered before. And I think it has to do with, you know, we are in a very chemically overloaded environment. We've got over 50, I think, or 60,000 chemicals that haven't been around for the last decades, only have been invented in the 20th century. We mm. don't know how to deal with them. Now we have it in our water, in our ear, in our soil. So all of a sudden we are bombarded with that and you know our livers get completely overloaded. We don't really know how to sequester those substances. We don't rest enough. We're always on the go. So there's certain factors that have kicked in which is not very physiology friendly of the way our DNA is structured. We haven't changed over the last 10,000 years. What has changed is our lifestyle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, our lifestyle is so full on. Now everyone is just like, it's a race to be the busiest. One thing that I find is seems to be becoming more and more prevalent in society now is depression and mm. just the effect that that's having on everyone. Are there sort of some remedies that you are prescribing more and more for that sort of thing? Absolutely. And I think particularly with depression, natural health care and particularly plant medicine is exceptionally good because it helps to address more the underlying issues why people can be depressed. Now, there obviously are very, very different reasons why somebody can get depressed. You know, there are some real clear-cut reasons, like somebody has lost a partner or has lost a job or has endured a severe illness. So these are very clear trigger points why somebody can justifyingly feel depressed. But there's also this other level of depression that actually comes through not having enough you know, nutrients in our body. We are depleted of that. It can also be because we are too busy, we don't allow the body to relax. You know, there are drugs that interfere with the serotonin uptake pathways so that people feel flat because of that. So there's different reasons for that. One of the plants that has clinically shown to be very efficacious in depression is, of course, St. John's Wort. Part of my thesis that I've just finished looked at all of the St. John's Wort trials, and there are around 150 different clinical trials on St. John's Wort and quite a large number on them on depression. Now, the interesting thing really on these clinical trials is, is that they trialed it against synthetic antidepressants. And what they have found is, is that in mild to moderate depression, St. John's Wort preparations were as efficacious as the synthetic antidepressants but with less side effects. Now, that is really huge, huge news because St. John's Wort, not only does it help people to feel better, they feel long-term uplifted and the relapse rate of, of people taking St. John's Wort is much, much less than when they take drugs. So with drugs, there's always a danger in some people that they can relapse when they stop taking the drug. What they found with St. John's Wort is, is that it overall rebalances the body and builds it up and strengthens it so that when people come off it, they feel good. They're not relapsing. That's so St. Amazing. John's Wort, I think, is the herbal drug of the 21st century, really. And, oh, cool. and it addresses you know, the good serotonin levels. It addresses good sleep. It addresses hormonal balance. It's actually very calming and soothing on the nervous system. It supports digestion. You know, I just think it's a wonder drug. It really is. And we're very, very lucky in New Zealand. We've got very good St. John's Wort growing in our backyard. Really? Can you take it just for just an overall health 
thing. So like if you feel pretty good, but you just want to kind of give your health a bit of a boost, can you just Absolutely. take it? And that's okay. what, you know, in Europe, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. So at Artemis, we've got a stress relief tea that has St. John's Wort in it, and it's from Central Otago. And what that does is it just lifts you up. When I'm harvesting this plant, my impression of it is like liquid sunshine. You know, it's in the middle of summer. It's really hot, you know, very dry. And you pick this plant and you process it and it becomes quite red. It's like that life force. It's that energy. And when you drink St. John's, what you just feel picked up. It just lifts you, literally lifts you up. I can feel it in my body straight away. And I always say, you know, it's, it's liquid sunshine and it puts like insulation around your nervous system. So I like to take it during the day because I'm really busy at work. And, you know, we all have stress. That's a reality. We just have to deal with it. All what we can do is just build resilience to the way how we react to stress. And St. John's is one of those really important plants that just help our bodies to be a bit stronger, a bit more resilient. And the other thing is it helps to sequester cortisol in our liver. So what that means is that if you take St. John's what during the day, you're not arriving at night being completely wired. Because when that happens, when you have very high stress hormones at the end of the day, it just takes the body quite a long time to calm down. And then people can't sleep well. Because that switch from cortisol to melatonin is not taking place naturally. So that's another plant where, you know, if you take it during the day, you're not going to be so stressed at night. And so can people... You know, because I've seen St. John's Wort in pharmacies and stuff, and you can see just get it in capsules and stuff like that. Is it all the same, or are some of it shit? <laughs> <laughs> so not all plant medicine is created equal. You know, it comes back to that. So in Europe, in order for St. John's Wort to be prescribed and paid by the state, the medicinal plants that have been used for that herbal drug needed to meet certain standards of efficacy. Now, in New Zealand, unfortunately, we don't have any legislation in place yet, and we really beg and lobby the the government to put those standards in place so that consumers can trust that what they get in a store really meets those medicinal standards. If you don't see anything on the label that qualifies and quantifies it, you don't know how efficacious it is, unfortunately. So some may be really, really good, but some may come out of quite dubious places from the planet where you know environmental standards are quite low. They may have been grown under herbicides and pesticide management, and it's probably not that great. Mm. So that's really where medical herbalists are quite good. So you know, if somebody's dealing with a thing like depression, which you know I think does require a consultation, then we can guide people to the right remedies so that you know what the good quality is, or you know ask your pharmacist or also staff in the health store who are qualified, you know, can you guide me to a remedy that has quantified actives in it Mm. so that we know that it's actually working the way how it's designed to work. But there are vast differences in quality. And the old saying, cheap and nasty, unfortunately, is true in herbal medicine as well. Here's a quick message from our sponsor, Sabaru. Well, it's no secret that both you and I bloody love Sabaru. We both drive them. Yep, that's no secret. Well, I drive a Sabaru Forester and... That one car of the year last year in 2018. 
It's a medium SUV. And you may ask, what does a medium SUV mean? Well, it means you get all the good stuff of an SUV, of like feeling, you know, quite cool and high up in your big car. But it's a lot easier to to drive around the city and it's a lot easier to park, which is a big one for me. I mean, I kind of need all the help I can get in that department. Mm, Yes, I'd agree with that. Well, okay, I can understand why that one car of the year. Mm. And it's super safe, it's comfortable, and it's full of tech. Some of that tech exclusive to Subaru. Well, like what? Well, like the driver recognition system. So, for example, if you get in my car and drive it, which sometimes happens, and you change all the settings, you're putting the chair back, you're turning the mirrors, and then if I get back in the car, it's going to scan me, know who I am, and put all my settings back in place automatically. That is quite cool tech. I know. It's super epic. And what do you drive? Outback. Spar Outback. Love it. It's the people's car, the car of New Zealand. Why is that? Well, it does everything. You can you drive around the city. It's all-wheel drive. You can shoot up the mountain. It's got built-in roof racks, chuck some boards on the roof, head down for a surf. Big enough space in the back. You can go on road trips. You can, I've slept in the back. It's that big. Yeah, that is actually impressive because you're quite tall, aren't you? Mm, correct. So go on, go check out one for yourself. Visit Subaru.co.nz to check out the Subaru range and find an SUV to suit your lifestyle. And unlike Auckland's house prices, they're totally affordable. And with pregnancy, because I know that plant medicine can really help support pregnancy, so how can it do that? Does it help with morning sickness? Yes. I think many women come to plant medicine at the time of pregnancy because all of a sudden you start to think not just about yourself but also about the baby. Mm -hmm. And so safety becomes a really, really important thing. At the same time, you know, the body undergoes so many changes, some more subtle, some more obvious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden you're not the same person anymore. Something else magical is happening in you. And so plant medicine is extremely effective for that. So I trained under a midwife when I was back in Switzerland and we used the formulation which is standard midwifery formulation, which is the Artemis Pregnancy Tea. But we use that same formulation through obstetric care in Switzerland. And so what that formulation does, it's helping to build uterine strength. So it has raspberry in it as well as ladies' mantle because that muscle is going to undergo a total marathon, you know, at birth. It really needs to coordinate those muscles and so you need to feed them so that they're really strong and coordinated. So those two medicinal plants empirically we know are very helpful to accelerate and have a swift birth. Then we have other plants in that formulation like horsetail for example which strengthens the connective tissue because in pregnancy you can have issues with water retention for example and it's really important to keep your water works going very well. We've got nettles in there that's very high in minerals and nutrients that's for you and also for your baby. And then we've got St. John's wort and lemon balm in there. And that helps with the nervous system side of things because when the hormones are kicking in, you can sometimes feel euphoric, but sometimes you can feel quite low. And that's really normal. So those medicinal herbs help to balance your nervous system. Now, that formulation is also very good for morning sickness, which unfortunately is not always just in the morning, right? (laughs) It can be at any time of the day. And I think the reason why that formulation works is because it actually supports your liver to sequester your pregnancy hormones if they are banking up that's when you get spikes of mm-hmm. hormones and that's when you can feel quite sick so if your liver is really working well you will have much less of those um, spikes yeah mm-hmm. yeah because it does seem a little bit counterproductive having morning sickness because surely your baby is wanting to get all the nutrients it can but then your body spews it all back up 
you know? It just seems really odd that that happens. Well, I think there are different theories around that. So the one is, is that this spike of hormones, the higher it is and the more sick you feel, the more likely it is that a woman is hanging on to the baby. So the hormones are actually really healthy. <laughs> seems a bit mean, eh? Yeah. But the other thing is, is by having these hormones circulating, you actually have to slow down. Mm. And so particularly in the first three months, your body, you know, shouldn't be in high stress environments. And by feeling a slightly seasick, you're actually not going to put yourselves in there. So it is thought that it may be an evolutionary mechanism to protect women to be too adventurous in that more vulnerable time. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that is interesting. Because those first three months are a real kicker, aren't they? Real doozy. Real doozy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, ideally you just can sleep, you know, as much and whenever you want. You yeah. know, that would be the, in the ideal world. Yeah. That's what you would Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sleep, that seems to be something that people are always trying to improve in their lives. What are some remedies for sleep? There, again, are very, very good medicinal plants that can help with that. So we've got valerian, we've got hops, um, we've got kava. We've got quite a few plants that really help to switch the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's kind of the key to have a good sleep, that we are enabling the body to be active during the day, where the sympathetic nervous system is probably a little bit more dominant. And then as we come into evening, we really switch to that rest and relax mode. Now, people who can't sleep, they have difficulty to switch that over. And that's where, you know, plants like passionflower, St. John's wort, lemon balm, you know, valerian hops, I've already mentioned, kava, they're really, really good to enable your nervous system to do that switch that it can do naturally, but sometimes struggles with doing that. So sleep, usually I don't just look at a remedy for the evening, though. Sleep is really a reflection of how you have lived your day. So if you've are highly strung during the day, you haven't had any rest, any relaxations, you've been on the go, 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 go for eight to ten hours without giving yourself any break, it's no wonder that you arrive in the evening with very high stress levels. And it just takes a few hours to actually just get rid of them. So it's really important to have mini breaks during the day and also put yourself into cruise mode. And I think that's one thing that we have lost the ability to do is, is that we think in order to be alert, we need to be stressed. Actually, the best alertness comes from being relaxed. And that's when actually the parasympathetic nervous system is more dominant, which is your rest and digest nervous system. So your immunity is up, you're more alert, you digest better, you're fertile. These are all really, really important things. So we need to manage our days better St. John's, what would be a really good one to take during the day? And then in the evening, you're enabling further your body to go into that deep sleep. The other thing what we know is, is that cortisol should be the highest in the morning, around 5 o'clock. Then you should start to wind down on your cortisol. And come 10 o'clock at night, you have high levels of melatonin, which is what switches you into sleep. That's why we always say that, you know, 10 o'clock is a good time to go to sleep because that's when your melatonin should be the highest. Mm. So it's just, you know, making sure that by 10 o'clock you have done your wind down rituals, you know, be the bath or doing some reading, you know, stay away from your screen, all of these lovely things. Have a, a night cuppa, you know, with medicinal plants that really are hydrating you, they're relaxing you, they make you feel good. It's a really good thing to do. And just consciously saying, you know, I wish to have a good sleep. And I'm preparing myself for that. Yeah, we try and have a bit of a 
protocol or you know nighttime ritual try and have no screens for at least an hour before we get into bed yeah and like no bright lights so we try and you know just have like a lamp art has this little candle I read by candlelight um (laughs) I'm a bit weird like that no I love it I think it's great (laughs) so say I'm quite interested to try some herbal teas before I go to bed now as well when should I do that how long before I Go to bed. So you can do it in two ways. I may just tell you how I usually do it. So I come home, you know, around 6 o'clock, 6.30, and I take a rest and relax formulation at that point. And that's not something to make me sleep. It's just to help me to disengage from my busy day. It's a tea that is called rest and relax. It has passion flower and it has licorice in it. So it builds up your adrenal health, has lavender in it, helps to calm my mind chatter. That's just something for me nice to do. You know, some people take wine, but wine has its own issues when you take it as a relaxant. So I personally prefer to have a herbal tea at that point. And then we have dinner, you know, I do my other things that I need to do, chatting around, prepare myself for bed. And then I probably have my deep sleep tea about half an hour before I go to bed. And I make myself a big enough mug that I drink just half of it. And then the rest of it I tend to drink during the night if I need to go up for the loo. Mm. And so I give my body another chance to drop back into that deep sleep by doing it. Now that formulation has plants in it that are more strongly working as a sedative. So you have the hops in it, you have the valerian in it that really helps to switch that nervous system into a relaxation mode a bit stronger. So about half an hour would be good. Okay, cool. Oh, I'm going to try that. Yeah. You mentioned licorice as well, so that calms you down. Would that be something you could actually just eat licorice as a dessert? Well, but then it's got sugar to sort of mm. hype you up as well. Well, I guess, it? could you get like a, a real natural one? Well, I tell you what, when I was a school kid, we had like a health store on the way between my parents' place and the school, and they actually had licorice sticks. And I remember, you know, with all the money that I was saving, I would go, and I think it was only like five cents or something like that, and I would have a licorice stick and I would just chew on it. But it was literally the root. Mm. It was not processed as a candy. It's very, very sweet. It's very gorgeous, and you can get it in some health stores. So you could do that. And people use it when they want to stop smoking, for example, they still need to Have be occupied to, in yeah. their mouths to do something. So you could do that. But the candy, the licorice is not therapeutically active in that way. Mm-hmm. So you need to take it either as a medicinal tea or, you know, you chew on it as a stick, for example. You can have it as an extract. That would be another option as an oral liquid. But, yeah, candies are not great, unfortunately. Yeah, they no. taste nice, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're not medicinal. Yeah. So what about doing the opposite of sleep? So, you know, people drink a lot of coffee. I drink coffee, but like, I'm trying to cut down on my coffee. I really like the ritual of having a cup of coffee. Should try my but herbal I also, one. I know. I do also like the taste. Mm. And I guess I must be, there must be something in me that's slightly addicted to it as well because I do look forward to it. I think it must be the kick it gives me. When do you take your coffee? Probably at about eight or nine in the morning. Mm, that's yeah. the correct time to take it. Coffee is really an interesting substance and it's quite, there's a lot of controversy around it, right? You know, some people say, you know, you should never take coffee. Some say, you know, I really regret every single day of my life I haven't taken yeah. coffee. You, know, you get the whole spectrum of opinions around it. Now, when we look at it traditionally, coffee was sold in pharmacy And the reason for that is it's actually a very good circulatory stimulant. It's very good for people who have low blood pressure. And it is also sharpening your mind. And that's why people who love coffee like it, because all of a sudden something is switched on, right? Yeah, that's why I do it. Yeah, so... 
you know, if you take it in that way, if you have one coffee in the morning to get your body up and ready and, you know, your sharpness coming through, I personally don't object to that at all. The only thing I would say is, is that it's important that it's really good quality because the coffee bean is one of the most sprayed plants in the world. It's really, really quite hideous. So, you know, organic coffee is really important. You know, go for good quality coffee. Don't go for the instant stuff, which is mostly not very high quality. So do a ritual, celebrate it, invest a little bit into really good quality. And then that's you for the day. Mm. I don't recommend it past midday. And even that can be a bit dodgy because some people are so sensitive to caffeine, it really affects their sleep at night. The problem with all strongly acting plants is, is it's when we overdo it, that's when the issue happens. Now, with coffee, the issue is, is that it, it stimulates your adrenal glands and you get that shoot up of energy. But if you keep doing that, you're actually depleting your system of energy. And eventually you're actually worse off energy wise than before mm. you have taken the coffee. So it's really the balance is really the important thing with coffee. There are some natural other alternatives that you could take. So for example, really good green tea. You know, Sencha green tea is fantastic. If you combine it with some other plants like rosemary, for example, which is a circulatory stimulant to the brain, that would be something which is really good. Mate is a very good South African plant that has a small amount of caffeine in it with other components. So it's not as dramatic as coffee, but also it's more sustained. So you, you feel alert for longer and it doesn't have that same depletion action. So you could say, you know, you have your coffee in the morning and then you switch to another plant-based formulation like a repower green tea, for example, that helps you to stay alert but not agitated. Yeah, because I do find that if I have like two or three coffees, I can feel a little bit agitated. And I try and stay away from coffee after 12 because I do find that it keeps me awake. And I don't feel like I am have got lots of energy at the end of the day. I just find that I'm lying in bed. Can't I can't turn, my, yeah, can't turn my brain off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other thing with coffee is, is it really takes a lot of resources out of your liver. And, you know, we're living in an environment where our livers are already very highly taxed. So the liver loaders, we should be really easy on. So that's coffee, that's wine, alcohol of any type. Other toxins. Other toxins, you know, conventional foods that have been sprayed. So we have to metabolize those or trying to metabolize those, you know, herbicides and pesticides. You know, pharmaceutical drugs are very toxic or heavy on the liver often. I guess we've all been living a life that's like full of toxins without us even realizing just for all the foods that we eat and soil and everything that's full of pesticides and herbicides and sprays and everything. Do you recommend that people try and detox and cleanse themselves? And how do you go about that? I think it's very, very important. But I think we have to define what detoxification actually means. Mm. So, you know, there are quite drastic programs out there where people go on incredible fasts or using, you know, quite highly processed products to detox and slim down and all of that. I'm actually not a fan of that at all. I think the most important thing to do for us as humans is to support our detoxification organs on a daily basis. Because the reality is, is no matter how green and clean we live, we are exposed to these things. You, know? you can't get away from it. We yeah. can't. It's just a reality of things. So what we can do is, is we have to support our liver. We have to support our kidneys. And when we do that, it's like an internal shower. 
you know, it's not just, you know, doing the beauty outside, but we actually support our organs to eliminate. And if we do that on a daily basis, that's, I think, has the most sustainable effect long term. So what I personally do in my life is, is I have a liver detox tea first thing in the morning when I wake up. That's my very first thing I do. And that is because during night you detox naturally. So you want to get rid of that. You do not want to reabsorb that back into your bloodstream. Mm. So before you eat, that's really important, you know, do it on a fasted tummy. So you flush it with a liver detox tea and then you, about an hour later after your breakfast, you take a kidney cleanse tea that really finishes that cleansing in terms of the flushing. The liver herbs that we use are more fat-soluble, deal with fat-soluble toxins. The kidney cleanse is more water-soluble toxins. And if you do that in combination, that's actually a really good flush. So I do that every day, just once a day. If you want to up that, you could do that combo three times. So you do it at lunchtime you know, before lunch and after lunch, and you do it at night before and after dinner. That would be a more sustainable way of detoxing. And then you just do your foods. You know, you have your little bit of raw food before your food. You have your broccoli. You know, you have your your brassiac family vegetables. You know, you drink enough. You have to drink at least two liters of water to keep detoxing and to keep hydrated. And medicinal teas are fantastic for that. You can also do juices, for example. And the best detoxification actually is not trying to get toxins in the first place. Mm. And that is through good food. Yeah, we've definitely made it, I guess, more of an effort to live a life less toxic, haven't we, Matt? We've started yeah. eating a lot more organically and, yeah, just making more of an effort, eh? Yeah, I felt a difference, I think. I want to touch on your PhD that you've just finished. What was that on? So that was, um, it was, of course, around plant medicine because that's where my passion is. But I looked at a very specific aspect of it and I looked at how can traditional plant medicine be integrated into a healthcare system that is evidence-based. So you're talking about how to make New Zealand's healthcare system more like the Swiss one? Yes, it probably would end up or preferably would end up in that direction. Cool. Yeah. And how do we do it? <laughs> so basically what I looked at, it was a method how we can quantify evidence and how we can quantify empirical evidence because that's often the pushback argument, oh, you know, plant medicine is not evidenced, which is kind of quite curious given that it's the longest standing medicine around in the world. So we actually have a lot of empirical observational data that has been captured by the regular medical system anyhow, mm. you know, because until very recently, medical doctors, that's all what they were using. You know, even in New Zealand until Second World War, you know, they used plant medicines. It's very recent. It is the really system recent is very odd. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So it was a method. I'm a medical historian as well. So I developed a method together with my supervisors of how we can quantify that evidence around St. John's Wort, Arnica, Thyme, you know, all these plants that we would like to use in regular healthcare, so that the regulator has peace of mind that what is actually sold in the marketplace has efficacy around Mm. it. So I was really very specifically looking at helping a regulator how they could go about as a, you know, a solution, as a potential solution, so that people can 
exercise choice. Because at present, we don't have a system where people can, like in Switzerland, say, look, I would like rather the plant-based one or I'm fine with taking the chemical one. That's a personal choice. We don't have that right here. And it's not even that as a company, I'm not even able to talk about research. That's how restricted the Medicines Act is right now. It's incredible. So, you know, that's what do you mean you can't talk about research? Well, if I'm, as the owner of Artemis, is talking about time being antimicrobial, expectorant, helps with cough, then under the Medicines Act, that is deemed as advertising and being in breach. But the reality is, is that there's so much scientific research like that, that we just we have a gagging order right now, the way how it's enforced, which is very, very odd because WHO, for example, has a whole traditional medicine strategy where they are encouraging governments to disseminate research, mm-hmm. you know, to use traditional plant medicines in their regular healthcare system. And yet in New Zealand, we have an overhang from a historical issue that we had at the beginning of the 20th century where we had the Tohunga Suppression Act and we had the Quackeries Suppression Act, which deemed everything that was not synthetically produced medicines as quackery. And that so has, that's where that term whoa. comes from. That, that, and that has not quack. been resolved in New Zealand. It has been resolved in other countries. But in this country, traditional plant medicine has not found its status, has not regained its status because it has been parked somewhere in our left field. And so we're in this really odd situation. We have literally thousands of scientific studies around medicinal plants. We have a very, very long history of empirical evidence. And yet we cannot talk about it. We cannot put it on the label. People cannot use it very easily. You know, you have to pay it out of your pocket. Mm. While in other healthcare systems, the evidence which is legitimate can be talked about. You can choose as a consumer what kind of medicine you want to have. Is it natural or not? So there's still a lot of steps we have to cover, you know, in this country. And I decided to spend my time in research into trying to help to be part of the solution. Yeah, that seems really bizarre. But do you feel like there's a bit of a shift, especially with the younger generations being a lot more open to natural medicine? So I wonder if that will start to change more and more. Absolutely. You just, you know, hit it there. That's exactly right. So 24 years ago when I came to New Zealand, I was kind of deemed as if I was a hippie, which was kind of a really quite funny thought to myself. (laughs) But now, probably about five years ago, things have really started to shift and get traction. So you see more and more plant medicines also in pharmacy while beforehand it was more in health stores and online. And we start to have really high quality training courses taking place. People can train as medical herbalists, which is fantastic. We have more doctors who are interested because, you know, they are the ones who deal with chronic illnesses all the time. You know, with some it has worked, but with some it hasn't worked. So that we have gaps of care where doctors just have to say, look, I'm sorry, I do not have anything I can do to help you. And they are the people who look at other options. You know, and plant medicine is the next step because originally that's what doctors did anyhow, right? Mm. So there definitely has been a shift happening. And I think it is also linked into more consciousness around good food. You know, that probably eating highly processed food is not that great. It's much better to have, you know, natural foods. And so we start to think about natural food, natural medicine. So our body really responds well to that. We're all set up, you know, all of our systems are set up to process traditional plant medicines in the correct way. You know, we think about more going plant-based as a lifestyle 
anyhow. We know that pharmaceutical drugs are very, very energy intense to manufacture. You know, they also end oh, okay. up in your waterways, mm. in your ear. So there's a whole shift happening where we think, well, we probably should use the drugs really in emergencies and when they are appropriate and needed. But if we can help it, let's try to go back to a more natural health style because clearly people were more thriving on that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting because I guess people are getting a little bit frustrated as well. It's really hard for GPs because, as you say, they've only got, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And, and like if you say, oh, I've got, you know, a stomach problem or like diarrhea or something, it could be so many different things. And I remember I was living in the UK and had some like really bad digestive issues. And so I went to the doctor the first time and said, I feel really bad. I've got digestive problems. I'm really tired, but then I can't really sleep. I don't know what's going on. And he said, oh, it'll be a 24-hour virus, you know, like it'll sort of come and go. And I was like, okay, cool. So he said, just keep your fluids up and come back if it gets worse. And then a couple of weeks later, it was still bad. So I went back and I said, it's still there. What's going on? He said, oh, it's IBS. So just don't have any fibre. I was like, okay. So I did that. Then it didn't go away. And I was like, oh, I just don't think it's IBS. And then I went back and then he tried to give me antidepressants. And I think that's when I started researching natural medicine because I was like, I'm not depressed, but I'm starting to get depressed from the treatment I've had. Fair you know? enough. It's, yeah. And then I think that's probably happened to so many different people where maybe they've been fobbed off because someone doesn't know. And so they just say, oh, we'll try this and off you go. And it can be really just upsetting when you know deep down that there's something wrong, but it's just really hard to kind of get the right thing. You see, the medical system, as it is geared up, we're dealing with high-potency medicines, which have been initially been developed for emergency situations, like morphine, for example, penicillin. You know, these were the real star medicines in, mm. in the new chemical, new brave world. But we have a lot of functional problems that will not show up on an x-ray, will not show up on a blood test, and yet the person themselves, they know something is out of whack, right? Mm. You know so, your own body. Yeah, you, know. you do. You do. And so that's where you need to look at what remedies are actually rebalancing your organs. And that's really the key thing where plant medicine is fantastic. You know, we have specific plants for your liver. We have specific plants for your stomach. We have specific plants for your colon. So they can help you with, you know, those feelings that you mm. had. You may have had a parasite. Yeah. You know, yeah. who knows? We yeah. don't know what it was, but definitely there could have been a whole protocol mm. of making you function better. And I think that's that piece that is missing in our medical system. It's the people who feel unwell, but not as sick that it's really dramatic and you need medical intervention and you need hospital stay and you need surgery. It's that whole field leading up to that state. And if we're not dealing with that, then it surely will become bad. But if we're dealing with it in a self-care way, if we look after ourselves with rituals of self-care that we do every day and we take ourselves and our health really seriously, then we don't need to end up in those dramatic areas. And I think if natural medicine and synthetic medicine could work with each other in that way, it would be, honestly, I do believe it's the best system because you have the emergencies covered, you have the niggly stuff that is annoying and could lead to serious things, you have those ones covered. You know, so let's let's work together. Mm. It makes so much sense. So how does, do you see that happening in your lifetime in New Zealand? And like, how does that start? Does it start with doctors learning that as part of their curriculum? Or does it need to be a sort of 
a top-down government-led thing and just a huge big shift? I think it does need to be enabled in a regulatory environment, to be honest, because as long as medical herbalists are not part of Health Alliance, uh, sorry, Allied Health, it's called here in New Zealand, where these are all the professions that use non-pharmaceutical drugs. So they're not medical doctors, but, you know, like physiotherapists as Allied Health, for example. So we need to be part of that umbrella so that people actually do have an option. So it has to be legitimate in this country as it is everywhere else, mm. right? Or almost everywhere else. So we've got to get that sorted. So it's a legitimate profession that is viewed as such in New Zealand. And then I do believe that plant medicine should be taught back again in pharmacy and in medical school. It is part of their tradition. Mm. Medicine has not been plant medicine. Medicine has been medicine and that medicine has been using plants, right? Yeah. So now we use medicine predominantly in the form of pharmaceutical drugs, but I think that other branch, the plant medicine branch, should come back into regular medicine to deal with all of these things. You know, and digestion is a very huge one. Mm-hmm. Lowered immunity, coughs and colds, you know, children with upset tummies, you know, sleeplessness. We try not to steer people to take sleeping pills if we can they're highly addictive. How can we regulate their nervous systems so that they can sleep again? So there's a whole scope that I believe should be back in medical school, in pharmacy, and then medical herbalists who are truly specialised should be recognised as a profession. Yeah. Absolutely. So until that happens, if listeners are listening to this, they're thinking, man, I want to treat some sort of ailment with some natural plant medicine. How can they go about it? Do you know, are there some places around New Zealand, apart from yourself and Artemis, that they can look to? So there's really two pathways how they can go. So medical herbalism, we do have a self-regulating body in New Zealand in the absence of having a state regulator. And so there is a website, which is New Zealand Medical Herbalists. If people go on there, they can look in their region who are health professionals who are properly trained and accredited by our organisation and, you know, would get a proper consultation. So that's one way to go about it. So that's, that's, that's m- NewZealandMedicalHerbalist.co.nz? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's nzimh.co.nz. NZIMH. Yep. New Zealand Association of medical herbalists. NZAMH.co.nz. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a fantastic website and people can find their practitioners who are accredited. And the other thing is, is for more minor illnesses or, you know, coughs and colds, for example, indigestion, sleeplessness, things like that. The Artemis range, for example, and there are other companies out there that also do good things. So I don't just want to, um, you know, mention us, but, you know, we really, really care about quality and I just can really guarantee that the remedies that we make are formulated for efficacy, which is, I think, is really, really important. So, you know, for those more common things that are transient, they're not long-lasting, they're not chronic, they can really go into a health store or a pharmacy and get a remedy over the counter and get some advice from people who are knowledgeable and have trained in those remedies. So that would be another pathway. But I think if something is more serious or has been going off quite some time, I do recommend a proper consultation by a medical herbalist, just simply because you do not want to miss something which actually has to be looked at in more detail. We are quite happy to refer back to GPs, for example. Now, if we think that somebody should do a blood test or should be doing a liver function test or whatever, but we're very happy to work alongside medical doctors to capture those gaps of care so that we cover the gaps of care 
they cover more the serious stuff. So definitely from our side as medical herbalists, we're very, very happy to cooperate. And I really do believe that GPs are more and more open. It's particularly GPs because of their experience of, you know, sometimes they just don't get anywhere, you know, they don't know where else to go. So that's where the openness comes. And we cover quite different areas. So we're not really competing with each other. You know, we're complementing. We really are. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And just to finish off, I thought we'd ask you our famous last question. And that question is, if you could have three foods and three foods only for the rest of your life, what would they be? I feel like I can guess. I reckon chocolate's going to be one. (laughs) Surely. So (laughs) that is a really difficult one because, you know, I would need to look at that from what I really want, which is, of course, chocolate, cheese, and, you know, what else would I have? Probably banana or something like that. But that's not going to really sustain me very well for the end of my life, is it? So I would need to have something which... you'd be happy. I would be extremely (laughs) happy about that. So I would need to have something which is very high in minerals, and I probably would go for kale as a vegetable. I would need a good protein. So what would I choose as a protein? I know it's probably not very fashionable anymore, but I really do like chicken, organic chicken. Mm, yum. Mm, chicken too. Yeah. I think that's fashionable. Yeah. Chicken so I would, never goes out of fashion. No, it? especially not organic chicken. So yeah. organic chicken, so very easy to digest food. And then I would need something which is a bit more filling, so a carb and... In New Zealand, if I was <clears throat> if I was for the rest of my life in New Zealand, probably it would be Kumara. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. can't go wrong with that. Great choices. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good one. Yeah, I could live off those. Yeah, you you could totally you could. Uh, no, I think I would need. Oh no, I could because there's Kumara in there because I'd need something kind of sweet mm. to. to mm. You probably it. trade out the the kale for like spaghetti or, <laughs> ju- or just mints or something. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I could have spaghetti and mints the rest of my life, I'd do it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It's how I started my life for probably 10 years. Yeah. Hey, so if people do want to track you down and track down Artemis, your company, how can they do that? So we're on the web, of course. So www.artemis.co.nz. So that's the company website. And I will be accessible through that. Great. Yeah. And we've got a lot of free information on our website as well. I think, you know, for me, my passion really is about health and wellness of New Zealanders and, you know, sharing that love around the world as well. And for me, it's not just about medicines or remedies. It's about lifestyle. It's about how do we go about so that we are living to our potential. So I put a lot of free resources on the website. We've got a stress quiz, for example, where you can Great. look at in which camp are you sitting and which plants could help you to rebalance your body. Um, so there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way. I've also published quite a bit. So I'm a regular columnist at um, the Online Herald, for example. I regularly write for other magazines as well. So if you probably put my name into the Google search engine, probably a lot of articles and things are coming up. Cool. Great. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you so, so much for sharing much. with us. Well, yeah, fun. really, thank really you. enjoyed that chat. I learned a lot. Yeah. All right. See you later. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thank you indeed. This podcast is brought to you by Raw Collective. And for any updates on our podcast or any of the other podcasts under Raw, head to rawcollective.co or you can follow them on Instagram at raw underscore collective.co. But wait, before you go, please subscribe to our podcast and also rate it and review it. Leave a nice little message. Leave a smiley face, maybe an emoji. 
<laughs> or tell your friends. It's super easy. It takes two seconds and it would mean so much to us. Bye. Bye. Bye.